Okay, folks, we are going to be starting a series where we're going to talk about, well, let me, let me begin this way by saying, what is our church all about? And we've been talking about that a bit over this last year. And here's what we've come up with. In, in its simplest form, what we are all about, what we want to be all about, the, the reason that we come together on a Sunday morning, the reason that we follow Jesus is this. He's given us this purpose, to lead people to Jesus so they can have changed lives. And I'm praying that more and more, as you hear that, it's like there's something that resonates in your heart. Like, that is what it's all about. I mean, there's nothing earth-shattering there. You know, it's not flashy. This isn't a... a a, a clever piece of marketing. It's just simply who we are and why we exist. And I love to hear the stories of changed lives. I want to hear more and more of them. Each of you has a story to tell, believe it or not. Who, little me, you say? Absolutely. You have a story about how God has changed your life, and it might be about a week ago, it might be about a month ago, it might be about 20 years ago. That story is going to bless someone. Uh, But not only that, what... We can't forget while we're telling stories about who the real change agent is. Where does change really come from? And that's why we've embedded it in this statement. It's leading people to Jesus. We believe that if you could just meet the real Jesus, that you would never be the same again. That your life will be changed. And so our job, our task, is to not get in the way. And just to simply and clearly just... Help people understand who Jesus is. But there we kind of run into a little bit of an issue. Because there are a lot of different opinions about who Jesus is. And and in fact, Jesus, I think, really anticipated that as he gathered his disciples around him at one critical point in his life. uh, Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 to 16. In a quiet moment after, you know, there's, there was these waves. It was like a roller coaster in Jesus' life where people would see a miracle and they'd be attracted to him and then he'd teach for a while and then people would yawn and check out or get offended and run the other direction. That it was in one of these quiet moments when he just had the faithful few in front of him, he asked this question, like, who do people say that I am? And, and then, you know, they said, oh, you know, some say... Like answers today, you're a prophet from God, or you're a teacher, or you're this spiritual guru. Who do you say that I am? And you know what? That question is one of the most important questions you can ever answer in your life. Who do you say that Jesus is? And again, for you, maybe, it's, maybe he is a prophet, or maybe he is a teacher who taught some really cool things, like in the Sermon on the Mount. Or maybe he is a guru, you know, you envision him as the, you know, the... The, the, you know, go to the mountain and, and, and you know, see Jesus for wisdom. Or for some people, let's be honest, Jesus is like a myth. Like it's, he's someone that the church or the Bible has made up. So I don't know what your answer is to that question, but I'm glad you're here. I am. But I think the, the real question can be, for a moment, who did Jesus say that he was? Because if I'm ever trying to figure out who somebody is, I want to talk to that person. I want to listen to them. I want to ask them that question. Who are you? Like, what makes you tick? Where did you come from? What are you all about? And we get to do that. We get to ask Jesus that because he explained that so many times. 
And over the course of these next few weeks, and then we're going to take a break and we're going to come back to it coming up to Easter, we're going to look at what did Jesus say in his own words about who he said that he was. And they're around seven statements that Jesus made. He, he, he said it. He, he said, I am seven times. And then today, and, and in fact, if you take a look, kind of going around the wheel here, clockwise, up in the very corner, the left-hand corner, you'll see a piece of bread. And that's what we're looking at today. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In the middle, you'll see a light. Jesus said that he's the light of the world. What does that mean? We're going to unpack that. Uh, Jesus said, I am the true vine. Jesus said, and you'll see the shepherd's crook there, I am the good shepherd. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you'll see a little road there. On Resurrection Sunday, we're going to look at how Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life at the empty tomb. And then Jesus also said, I am the door. This will be Jesus in his own words. Who am I? And uh, so let's uh, tackle this, this first saying of Jesus. Oh, and, and by the way, that, that phrase, I am, that's like, uh, uh, that's really important, Okay. Because Jesus is doing something there. He's making a claim, even in saying, beginning those sentences with what I am means. A lot of us go to like, okay, what does bread mean? What does the door mean? What is the vine? Who's the good shepherd? Don't forget that Jesus said, I am. Because to everybody who knew about the story upon which Jesus' life was based, the Old Testament, this is a wink, wink, nudge, nudge moment. Where if you get it, it's like only... Someone who says that I am is using God's name, is making a claim. And if you look at John chapter 8, in fact, this gets Jesus in a lot of hot water. Because he's saying, you know, he's talking about Abraham. And then people say, well, what do you know about Abraham? Well, I existed before Abraham. Before Abraham was, Jesus said, I am. And they got into a riot and they picked up stones to stone him. Because those two words, I am in the Old Testament, are the name. It's the name of God. So Jesus is making a claim, even in each of these seven statements that should be more than a clue, more than a wink, wink, nudge, nudge kind of moment. He's telling you who he is. And it's amazing. So let's take a look at John chapter 6. And the passage we're going to look at, and so if you have a Bible or maybe on your phone, you've got the YouVersion app. Uh, you might want to look it up because it'd be good to have John 6 in front of you. We're going to Uh, Look at a number of verses in there. Starting at verse 32. It says, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. Jesus was talking about manna. If you know the story of God delivering his people from Egypt, you'll know the story about how there was no food in the desert. It's the desert, for heaven's sakes. And so God miraculously provided this food. It was like bread It was called manna. It only lasted for a day or two days if it was the Sabbath day. And so Jesus is speaking to that and saying, again, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. 
Jesus is making a claim about himself. He's starting to answer that question, who am I, in his own words. And if you took a look through the whole chapter of John 6, Jesus leaves more than clues. Not for you to figure it out. I mean, it's, it's plain, it's obvious who Jesus is saying he is. He's answering that question by some awesome claims. So if you look through, and there's probably more than even this, but these are a few things that I picked out. Uh, first of all, he's saying that Jesus gives eternal life. He claims that he can give you eternal life. He did that at least four times in the passage. Now that's amazing. <laughs> you know, there's somebody that might be able to like uh, fix your big toe if it gets stubbed. Or, you know, maybe a doctor or professional that can cast your broken bone. But I've never known anybody who could make the audacious claim to give you eternal life. To help you to live forever. That's a bold, amazing claim. Who is this Jesus? Uh, Jesus said he has the seal of his father's approval. In other words, there's, there's someone named the father who... Jesus is the representative of, and even more than that, has this close of a relationship that they are the, they are the, the, the image of this person, the seal of them. Um, Jesus goes on to make this audacious claim in verse 29. God's only work, this God that you've been believing in for thousands of years, this God uh, upon whom for thousands of years and then and now, religions have been created around to try to explain what's, what's, what, do, what, the, what is the spiritual work you're supposed to do. And Jesus says, there's only one. There's only one work that God gives you to do. Believe in me. That is a crazy, bold claim. Who is this Jesus? God's only work is to believe in him? And then Jesus says that he gives life to the world. And I think that there's more than just eternal life he's talking about. I think he's talking about in some way that Jesus, this carpenter from Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, is saying, somehow I give life to the world, to the universe. I keep it going. This, isn't, this is just amazing, isn't it, right? Jesus says in verse 35, you will never go hungry or thirsty if you trust in me. Bold. Jesus says he does the will of, of who the Father is. Whoever, this somebody, the Father. Jesus makes the claim he will resurrect people in verses 40 and 44 and 54. Then in other words, you die, I will raise you up from the dead. Amazing claim. Jesus says that, that if, if you're taught by him, you're being taught by God. Verse 45. Uh, that should tell you what he's saying about himself, about who he is. And then he's saying in verse 46 that he is the only one who has seen the Father, who the Father is. So uh, I, I kind of, um, I think I agree with this, this old writer named C.S. Lewis. Uh, a lot of you wouldn't know who he is except that he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, which have been turned into films that have been so popular. And C.S. Lewis, after examining some of these claims of Jesus as you work the way through, it's like, you've got kind of a choice to make. It's a really, a really important choice. And the choice is, what are you going to do with these things that Jesus said about himself? So he's either, you know, one of two things. He's either like somebody who is mentally unbalanced to the tune of someone, C.S. Lewis said, who claims they're a poached egg. <laughs> or, or, or they really 
believe this and they really are this person. And so what's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, and this is why the church from the very beginning became to understand that Jesus is saying he's God. He's not a religious guru. He's not a religious leader. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a teacher, but he truly is who you're looking for. He doesn't just show you the way. He is the way. And so what does that mean in this world? Well, the truth of the matter is this. That if that is true, then Jesus can satisfy the deepest part of you. He can satisfy your deepest needs. Uh, Jesus fed the 5,000. That story happens at the very beginning of John chapter 6. In fact, it, it's the backdrop to Jesus saying that he's the bread of life. Because he's just fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And it multiplied and it multiplied and it multiplied. It was an amazing miracle. People came and they were hungry. They were famished. And I I, I don't think we kind of understand what that hunger is. Because we live in a world with so much food. We don't understand what it's like to be that hungry, that desperate, that in need. That kind of hunger. It's a far cry today from AD 30. Where they were saying, God, give us this day our daily bread to us where we throw food in the trash. We have to go on diets in the wintertime. We've got so much food. You know, in all of history, that's a really weird thing. We have so much, we hardly understand what, what that hunger is. But they did. And though we might not understand that physical hunger so much, just in little bits, we just have cravings, right? <laughs> like we crave something. Uh, you know, some comfort food or whatever. But we do have, you have a hunger deep inside of you. So when Jesus said he's the bread of life, he wasn't just the bread of life to them. He can be the bread of life to you. Because you are hungry too. You're hungry. And, and, and you're, you struggle to be satisfied in your own life. And, and Jesus uses this, he says, I'm the bread of life. I can, I can make you full. I can fill up what's missing in your life, truly the deepest part. We're often, believe it or not, we're often on a search for bread. We're often looking for God. Come to God looking for bread. We're chronically unsatisfied. The problem is, though, we try to find our satisfaction in in stuff that's more readily available. We take the easy route or something we think, you know, oh, it makes sense to us. This will meet my need. And we're jumping around from thing to thing, trying to fill this gap. What are some of the things that we try to do to fill this gap? Well, some of them are good things. Like we try to volunteer. We try to serve. We try to get involved in the community, right? I mean, and, and that's a good thing. Will it fill your gap? Not all the way. Not even a big part of the way. There'll be still something missing. Some of us try to fill it with a church and a religion and working and devoting ourselves to a church. Good thing for sure. But is that going to fill the gap in your soul? I don't think so. Some of us in relationships. We're lonely. So like, oh, I need a boyfriend or I need a girlfriend. Others of us, you might try to fill it with sex. But that won't satisfy. That won't fill the deepest part of you. Or some of us, it might be listening to music, right? It's like... That, that, that might be like where you go to, but does it really fill the gap in your soul? Or maybe doing yoga or practicing mindfulness or buying something, you know, shopping to fill that gap or devoting yourself to exercise or fitness. 
All of these things we try to do to fill that gap in our soul because we're, we're hungry. We need to be satisfied, right? Our kids had this story growing up. Uh, it was, I think, it was a series of books. And it was, it was about the donut man. And the donut man went around places and teaching people this lesson of the donut. The donut has a big hole in the middle of it. And it's just like your life. Your life is a hole in the middle of it. And what will fill that hole? And, uh, you know, I know that's simple and simplistic, but there's a lot of truth to that, too. I think a lot of us live that way, where we're trying to fill that hole at the deep, at the center of our lives. But God has wired you. God made you and has wired your heart so there's really only one thing that truly satisfies. I love the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, it's, it's so pessimistic. Maybe it, it really appeals to the pessimistic part of me. You read it, at, like, don't read it if you're discouraged or depressed. I mean, it'll only make things worse. But if you're like a realist, if you think you're like a rugged realist, Ecclesiastes is great. There's very little hope in Ecclesiastes. I'll, let, I'll warn you about that. But there is a lot of really calling life like it is. And Ecclesiastes looks at all these things, all of the ways that we try to fill the hole of the donut of our lives. And it picks them apart. You know, in, in language, of course, from thousands of years ago. But, but it, it takes a look. It talks about work. It talks about, it talks about relationships. What does fill the need in your heart? And here's one of the conclusions right at the very top in verse 8 in chapter 1. It says, everything is wearisome beyond description. That's so positive, isn't it? No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. It may not be pretty, but it's true. Like We are longing for something. God has wired your heart so there's only one thing that truly satisfies do you know what that is? You know what that is. Jesus said it was him. I am the bread of life. And he makes this bold, audacious claim in, in, in 635, John 635, and it's this. That if you believe in me, you will never be hungry again. Wow. There's the search. The search is over, right? For what will truly satisfy. When you come to Jesus empty, and I think that's the trick, Right? If you come to Jesus, like, with all of your stuff on the table saying, oh, you know, let's make some deals here, right? I'll give you what I got, and then you give me a little bit of what you got. That does not work. You come to Jesus empty. Just like they did, the 5,000 people, they were empty, and Jesus will fill you. He will fill you. And uh, just a little note, too. When you come to Jesus, it'll often be there'll be something that'll be driving it. Like, uh, I know for a lot of us, and I don't know what your story is, but for you, maybe you had like a, a terrible, abusive family background, and you're just searching for healing, and so you come to Jesus. And that's good. That's good. Some of you, maybe a relational breakup that you've been having, or problem with your kids, and, that, and you come to Jesus saying, Jesus, will you please fix this need in my life? Or maybe it's a financial problem. There'll be a need in your life that brings you to Jesus. But I want you to realize that what brings you to Jesus might not be the most important need in your life. Maybe there's something bigger. And in fact, we always find that. There's something bigger in our lives. That there's a hole there. That maybe the, the need that we had is just a little piece of. 
But Jesus will fill the hole in a deeper way. He'll give you himself to orient your whole life around. It'll fix in you. It will heal you in a way that meeting just one need never will. Jesus is the bread of life. He truly satisfies. Um, you know, I experience this a lot of time. This, this morning, we're going to the Lord's Supper in just a moment. Um, one of the things we do before the Lord's Supper is we take up a benevolent fund. Uh, we have a benevolent offering, and that's for the needs of people. And, you know, this is something that Jesus kind of said. Um, people came to him for bread, but they needed something bigger. They needed something more. And I see this all the time. People come to us month after month, and they have needs like they can't pay their rent or their electricity bill. Or they don't have food in the cupboard. Or, uh, or, or it could be that, uh, uh, you know, like the, their kids, they just can't afford to have lunches for their kids. That's why they come. But what they'll find is, and, and I know this in my heart, yeah, you, that is a need in your life, and I care about that, but you need something more. You need Jesus. And... and and I think it's so true. That's true of all of us. Not just true for them. It's true for us too. It may look like you need this. And you do need that. But you need something more. Something bigger. And that's who he is. And Jesus is saying that's who he is. So what Jesus is asking you to do. And if we could put that back up on the screen. Is this. It's going to sound really weird. But if Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus asks you to eat his flesh. He says that, right? In John chapter 6, verses 53 and following, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life in you. And that leads us right to the Lord's table where there's this picture that Jesus is the bread of life and it needs to be broken. And he was broken on the cross. He was broken and he needs to be taken and eaten and by that, I mean this, that, that Jesus wants to live inside of you. He wants you to come inside. Just like your food goes into your body, he wants to live in your whole self and direct it from the inside. I, I love that passage in Revelation chapter 3. It's been one of the most like, timeless promises and encouragements to a lot of us about what it means to trust in God. And it's very personal. In Revelation 3.20, it's this picture of Jesus. And he says, look, I stand at the door and knock. What door is he talking about? He's talking the door to your life, the door to your heart. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and I'll eat with you. We'll share a meal as friends. And that's not just a visit he's talking about. He's talking about taking up permanent residency in your life. Paul's favorite term for this relationship, this personal relationship we have, is in Christ. Or Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's this idea of living in and feeding on Jesus day by day and getting your strength and your direction, taking your marching orders, finding your deepest satisfaction in Jesus. That's what he's calling for in your life. And here you are at the verge of this supper where Jesus is issuing this beautiful invitation. It's pictured in the old prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah 55 said this, if, Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. That's no way to run a business, is it? And in fact, it's no way to run a religion too, if this were a religion. But God 
is this. God says, come. Come, take your choice of wine or milk. All the best of life. It's all free. In fact, you're spending money, Isaiah's saying. Why, why do it? Why spend your money on food that doesn't give you strength? Why, why pay for food that does you no good, doesn't meet the deepest need of your soul? Listen to me, God says, and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. If you trust in Jesus, your problems are not going to be all solved, okay? Uh, not, no promises there. Your life still goes south. It still goes sideways. It does. You still struggle with your health. You still struggle with your emotions. But I'll tell you, he fixes the deepest part of you. And he's in the process of doing that in you already. But there is a, there's a satisfaction. You have eternal life. Not just in the life to come, and that's a great promise, I'll tell you. But it, in, the, in life now, you have him. You are not alone. You are not overwhelmed. You might be beaten and pressed down and crushed, but you are not destroyed because God's propping you up. This is what Jesus promises. And here we come to the table today. Let's pray. God, I thank you for these promises that so many of us have seen worked out in our lives time after time that you are the bread of life. You have been our bread. You have been the source of our life and our sustenance. Lord, we come to you now and pray in these moments at this table that uh, we might make real this relationship that you call us to, that we might make change so that we feed on you more and more and find our satisfaction in you. In Jesus' name, amen.